for 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good afternoon, everybody. It's good to see you uh, one final time in this wonderful church building that God's given us. And uh, yeah, so thankful to our host church, Christ Church of Arlington. So if any of you want to, you know, just drop by the church later this week and give them maybe gift cards or just a hug, I think they'd really appreciate that. So um, yeah, for those of you who are new, I, I didn't catch if John mentioned this at the start of service, but as Cody, as you heard from Cody's announcement, uh, we're moving beginning next Sunday. And so We don't normally do a completely stripped-down service like this with just acoustic guitar, no speakers. Um, And don't be weird, because all of our stuff is in a trailer right now. Uh, And don't be weirded out by this, because I'm not actually speaking into speakers. This is just picking up the recording for those who who missed the service today. So, um, yeah, so we're just going to continue along in Matthew's Gospel. We're doing it tonight, and we're going to continue it next week as well. And as I was looking at the passages that, uh, the dates that these passages fell on, I think it was fitting because so this evening we're in the subject of fasting and at the heart of fasting is increasing our dependence on God so I think that is relevant right as we head into a new season as a church and then next week I I couldn't help but laugh uh, next week as we do our first service in our new space uh, that subject we're going to be looking at worry and anxiety so (laughs) I'll probably be mostly preaching from experience uh, through that but yeah just look forward to doing that with you guys so um, as we look at this topic of fasting I think there can be a temptation to treat this as a secondary subject like oh it's only the spiritually elite that fast and I'll just be honest with you guys I am in this camp uh I've only fasted a couple times in my life, and there is a rumor going around this church that I love to eat, and that I can consume a lot of food in one sitting, and I assure you that this rumor is absolutely true, and I do, I love food, and so fasting is something that's just really hard for me, and so this is something that I love about just walking through books of the Bible, is we're forced to be confronted with our blind spots, right? So this is an area where I need to grow in, and I hope this is helpful for you guys as well. Uh, for those of you who may be wondering, okay, I have this particular consideration, and I don't know that fasting may be a good idea because I have a complicated relationship with food. Uh, we acknowledge that you're here. Uh, God acknowledges that you're here. And so just so you know, we'll address some of those considerations toward the end, just as an FYI as we're going through and looking at fasting. So um, this will be a pretty simple sermon. I think it should be. Uh, But we'll look at it under these three headings. So first, what is fasting? Uh, Number two, why should we fast? And then number three, how do we actually do it? Okay, so first, uh, what is it? What's fasting? Number two, why should we do it? And then number three, how should we actually fast? Okay, so first, number one, what is fasting? And to sum it up, fasting is not eating food in order to draw close to God. Okay, so there's a purpose, not eating food in order to draw close to God. And we'll get to that second part, drawing close to God, in a little bit. But for now, we're going to focus on the fact that it is specific to food. So in this instance, when Jesus is talking about fasting, 
Um, note that he assumes his disciples fast, just as a general rule. That's what he says, when you fast, just like the passage last week, he said, when you pray. Okay, he assumes his followers fast. Um, and so with, uh, but when he's talking about fasting here, it's specific to food. And in fact, every other biblical example is with respect to food. In fact, the, the Hebrew word for fast in the Old Testament literally means to, to cover your mouth. So it's talking about not letting food go into your body. And so a note here, first, fasting in the biblical sense, it's different than abstaining. Okay, so for example, we're in the Lent season right now, and probably a number of you are abstaining from things like social media or television, and that's good. Those things viciously attack your souls. It's just, that's abstaining. It's not fasting in the biblical sense. Um, there's also something, some of you may be, may be familiar with something called the Daniel Fast, apparently. I've never done it, but apparently it can be popular in church circles. It's inspired from the book of Daniel, where Daniel goes on to a restricted diet, and so folks model their diet after his. But note, even in that story, that diet isn't called a fast. It's simply just a restricted diet. And so fasting is specific to food, and even more specifically, it's going without food in order to draw close to God. And so just a couple of comments here on the fact that Fasting is specific to food that I think is helpful for us, in our, especially in our modern Western climate. First is, it acknowledges the body-soul integration that you are. Meaning, you don't have a body, you, you are a body, if that makes sense. You are a mysterious but real body-soul union. So this idea that our bodies are just this vessel that carry around our brains or our feelings. I mean, this is a heresy that's plagued the church since pretty much since right after Jesus ascended. Um, and even today, not just in the broader culture, but in the church, there's this idea that it's, it's our feelings that are our truest selves, and the, the givenness of our bodies don't actually have much say over who we are. But you know, we saw this in our anthropology series in the fall. Like God made your body. He loves your body. In the new earth, you're going to have a renewed body. And so what we do with our bodies has a profound impact on our character and how we experience God. And so how fasting is helpful here because you know, some spiritual practices, for example, like praying, right, or even worship, especially if you're a church like us who doesn't like to move very much as we worship, Fasting helps acknowledge the physical element or the physical dimension to our relationship with God because we are a body-soul integration. Uh, author Scott McKnight, he described fasting as praying with your body. Okay, and so fasting, it gets our bodies involved uh, with, in life with God. So that's helpful. Just fasting acknowledges that we have bodies. Um, number two, fasting is helpful because, again, specific to our moment, it frees us from worshiping food. Now, maybe you're thinking, okay, that sounds grossly overstated, uh, but just hear this out for a little bit. So social historians have pointed out the fact that, I mean, for most of human history, and still today in many parts of the world, we, we ate to live, right? We ate because we had to do it to live, but now, especially in the West, especially in the DMV area, right, we live, i.e., we work really hard in order to eat, okay? Or put another way, we look to food not just as sustenance, but we look to food for transcendence. And here are, just, here are a couple examples that I was thinking through even just looking at my own life. So first, think about how we vacation. I was joking with someone the other week how it seems like vacationing, it's essentially an exercise in biding time between meals. 
right? So it's like, all right, we have this plan for breakfast. Oh crap, oh, crap. we didn't plan this out for lunch. Okay, we gotta go online. Do, does this have the best reviews? Because we need to do the best if we're only in this area one time, right? So often vacation is just an exercise and okay, what are we gonna do in between meals? Like our vacations essentially revolve around food. Or think about food shows. Okay, I mean, how many hundreds of millions, if not billions, are spent on food shows every year? How many days, if not months, of our lives do we spend watching food shows? Some of you guys are like, careful, Steve. Okay, but just, we, have to, we have to consider it. And then, so I come from the fitness industry. That was my profession for 10 years before becoming a pastor. And in the fitness and wellness industry, uh, food is often looked to not just for sustenance, right? So how can I be healthier? How can I love others? How can I have energy to love others well? But it, in our image-obsessed environment, it's mainly thought in terms of I do this so I can look better, right? So am I doing, should I do paleo? Should I do intermittent fasting, right? Um, should I eat after 5 p.m. or not, right? And most of these questions, we're thinking about how we're going to look. Oh, okay, I'm gonna get mad at the barista because they gave me whole milk instead of oat milk. This was not me at all last weekend, by the way, okay? But like, this is how we often tend to think of food. We, we look to it for transcendence. And so this is not to belittle I mean, hopefully it's clear I'm putting myself in this category. Like, I love food. It's not to belittle those who love food, and it's not to disparage food. Jesus loves food. So one way you can think of the Gospel of Luke in particular is you can almost describe it in terms of Jesus is always heading to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. That's basically the Gospel of Luke, right? The new earth, we will have a wedding feast. We're going to have a huge meal. Okay, but I think why Jesus gives us the practice of fasting is so that we don't, especially in our climate, it's so that we don't overvalue it. Does that make sense? And I think for most of us, it's, you know, you have, I don't know each of you as well as you know yourselves, but we have to ask the question, am I overvaluing food? Or if I'm quick to dismiss this teaching on fasting, like, okay, that's kind of interesting, but I'm not going to do it. Could I be dismissing it quickly because maybe I'm looking to food for transcendence, okay? And so put positively, fasting is a means of grace God gives us so that we don't worship food, so, they're not, so that we're not held by the tyranny of food, but that we, and so that we can grow in dependence on God. Okay, so first, that's number one, just what is fasting, and yeah, why is that helpful for us to know it's specific to food? So next number two, let's look at why, why should we fast, uh, at least according to the scriptures, as much as we can tell? And there are many things here, but we can boil it down to probably three categories of, of why, it's, why it's a good idea to fast. Again, assuming you're in the category that's a good idea for, which we'll get to toward the end. And the first way you could sum it up, why is fasting a good idea? And it's to weaken the flesh and strengthen the spirit. Okay, to weaken the flesh and strengthen the spirit. And so there's a place in Galatians chapter 5, and the, the word should be on the screen, and the Apostle Paul is talking about new life in the kingdom of God, and he gets to this section where he talks about keeping in step with the spirit, and he's saying this is one of the most important things you need to know if you're a follower of Jesus. And here's what he says in verse 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Okay, now here's what he's getting at. When he says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, the flesh is not just your body. Okay? The body is good. 
the flesh is what the scriptures use, what Jesus used, and especially Paul uses, to describe the, the part of our nature that is opposed to God, or the part of our nature that has disordered desires, where we take something bad or neutral or even good and overvalue it. Okay, so things like food, things like relational intimacy, sex, comfort, right, self-preservation. We take a lot of these things that are good, but then overvalue it. And the flesh is, it's the part of us that's driven by the pleasure principle, i.e. the driving motivation of the immature, that I'm just going to do what feels the best in the moment. Okay, our flesh is the part of us that's driven by autonomy. I'm just going to do what I want to do, regardless of what anyone else says, and especially regardless of what God says about it. Okay, so that's our flesh. We, we all have this fleshly component. And then we also have a spirit component. So from the first day you begin following Jesus, God gives you his spirit, okay, and then we grow in this progressively with each passing day, and the way of the spirit, it's the exact opposite of the flesh, okay, so it's, it's not consumed with self and immediate gratifications, it's consumed with sacrificial love of neighbor and love for God, and later on in, in this same section, Paul will describe things that are in line with the spirit, okay, so goodness, steadfastness, gentleness, self-control, these are, these are the aspects of the spirit, and one day when Jesus renews all things, thank goodness, our, our fleshly part will go away completely. And that's going to feel amazing. And all we'll have left is that spirit component. But for the time being, we are this dual nature, if you will, of flesh and spirit that are at war with one another. And a primary agenda of the Christian, of the disciple of Jesus, needs to be, by whatever means possible, putting to death or weakening the fleshly desires that are consumed with self and are more anti-God and feed our aspect of the spirit, right? Things that are in line with love for God and love for neighbor. Now, the reason why I took those three minutes to explain this is, one, just because this is so key to living the Christian life, but specific to fasting, why fasting is so helpful with this is because if any of you guys fast regularly or if those of you have tried fasting— I mean, when you get hungry, a few things sum up just that feeling of the need for instant gratification, right, when it, than, than food. And it may be purely hunger, but also if you're like me, sometimes I'm, I'm stressed or I'm exhausted or I'm feeling like I have a lack of purpose. And I just, I need to go somewhere, right, to do something with my self-loathing, to do something with my anxiety or my stress or my, my boredom. And often I'll go to food, right, because it just tastes amazing. It's distracting, and this is helpful because when we, when we practice, okay, so when you fast and you get that hunger pang and you're like, okay, for whatever reason you have it, you want to go to the cabinet, you want to order whatever, go get the food. When you practice saying no to that desire for instant gratification, that instant, like getting that pang assuaged immediately, you're practicing putting to death that part of you, the flesh that's just driven by the pleasure principle, that makes sense? And so when you practice saying no to that, and instead, when you get that pang, instead you run to the Lord for your comfort, for your meaning, to depend on the Lord, you're practicing discipline, which is going to then have carry over to other aspects of your life. So I remember I trained for a triathlon in college. I remember I was surprised thinking that because I was spending so much time with, you know, swimming, biking, and running, some of you know training for a triathlon is extremely time-consuming that other aspects of my life would go by the wayside, right? Eating, studying, sleeping. But I found it was the opposite. When I got disciplined in those areas, those other aspects of my life, sleeping, studying, even just how I behaved around other people, actually became sharper and more mature because when you get disciplined in one area, it has carryover. And so similarly with fasting, 
when you fast regularly and you're putting to death the flesh, it will have carryover to other areas. So you'll find over time that maybe other temptations you have, be it materialism, right, or excess, or the need for other people to validate you, or lust, or whatever it is, you'll, you'll grow in learning to say no to those impulses and to grow in the spirit-centered impulses because fasting will help you have carryover into other areas. Okay, so that's number one. Okay, we fast to help weaken the flesh, strengthen the spirit. Number two, why do we fast? And this is to pray slash increase our intimacy with God. And we can see it play out in at least um, these ways when we're talking about prayer and intimacy with God. So number one, a pattern we see throughout the scriptures is when the people of God need to repent, they often do it in conjunction with a fast. So fasting helps us with repentance. And repentance is not self-loathing. Repentance is not feeling awful about yourself. Repentance is when the Spirit of God strikes you with the realization that, oh my goodness, this area of my life is completely out of step with the way of Jesus. It's completely out of step with loving other people. And I need to turn my life completely around and start walking in the way of Jesus, you know, toward other people in my life. And why fasting is helpful with this is because when you fast— you experience a disintegration in your body, as it were. So it's like by 11 a.m., you're feeling disintegration in your being. It's like, oh my goodness, I am going to die. And that disintegration in your body that you feel from being hungry, part of the purpose there, it's to remind us of the disintegration, that sin, that walking out of step with the gospel, the havoc that wrecks on our own souls, the havoc that it wrecks on the lives of other people. Okay, and so when we fast, when we experience that bodily disintegration, it's meant to point us to the disintegration within our own soul and the disintegration within our social relationships that our, that our sin creates. Because that's number one, fasting can help with repentance. Uh, number two, fasting can help facilitate grief. Okay, you see this a lot in the scriptures as well. When the people are grieving, when the people of God are grieving, they go into a fast. And because it's a physical way to acknowledge the brokenness of the world. And this may sound extreme, okay, so if I'm grieving, fasting is somehow going to be helpful, but just consider this example, because our culture, including in the church, I don't think we have a very healthy approach to grieving. So when we, something, when we see something awful happen, okay, we get on social media, we go on the news, and we see some horrific event that's just happened, like how do, how do we generally tend to deal with that grief? Usually, I think it's one of two things. One, it's we just start yelling about it on social media, Okay, this needs to happen. These, these people need to do that. Or we go the opposite direction and we numb. Okay, we numb through screen time, right? Or, or maybe it's food, right? Or checking out or whatever. And neither of these things are, are healthy ways to grieve. And if you guys remember, and I know, I think most of you do, like remember that year 2020? And I mean, it was just bomb after bomb, right, dropping on our news feeds of awful things that were happening in our, not just like in our world, but in our own country. And, right, so we're seeing minorities unjustly killed. And people are screaming over, you need to worship Trump, or you need to denounce Trump. And just like everybody's screaming, everybody's grieving. And especially the saddest part was to see the way that churches and professing believers were just yelling at each other, dividing and this week I was thinking, like, how, imagine if when those news stories broke, if every Christian 
before going to social media, before lambasting somebody in their church, they just took some time to fast and cry and meet with other, before getting into what our position is and just cry and pray with other believers and then move into conversation of, okay, what, what does our church need to do? What does, what does this implication have for who we vote for? I think the conversations we would have had would have been far more humanizing and spirit-empowering if we had fasted and prayed with our grief. Okay, so that's number two. I think fasting can help facilitate grief, so we grieve in a healthy way. And number three, with respect to prayer and intimacy with God, is you often see in Scripture the people fast and pray before needing to make some kind of special decision or when some kind of special moment is happening. So in modern terms, it may look like you're deciding whether or not to keep dating somebody or whether or not to marry somebody or take this job or that job or should I move or not, okay? Or, or a special moment, like our church is about to move, okay? And so we'll get to this in, in, a, in a few minutes here, but we're gonna do some fasting as a church. And so fasting can help us when it comes to either hard decisions or acknowledging a special moment because it, it helps us get more attuned with God Okay, some we already talked about, right? When we're practicing running to the Lord in prayer instead of assuaging our, our longing, right, with food, that just helps us be with the Lord more. Um, but also it can help us be more attuned to God in this way, I think. So just, like, when's the last time you went to all-you-can-eat Korean barbecue, for example, and just ate a ton of food and then had the best prayer experience of your life after? <laughs> okay, I, I don't know. If that was you, then tell me your secret. That's never happened to me. Right? Or uh, when I was in seminary, often we would have these intensives where we'd be in class from 8 to 5 all day, every day for five days. And what the smart professors would do is they knew if they let us out for lunch around 10.30 or 11, we would come back, but we wouldn't really come back because we'd be just stuffed from food. We'd just be sleepy. But the smart professors, they'd often push us to 1, 1.30. Then we'd go and eat, and then we'd come back and we only have a couple hours left. Some professors, you know, Paul John, who's preached here a bunch, he would actually just when one o'clock came, he'd tell you, you all, you all just go home. Because I know if you come back here after lunch, you're not going to listen to what I'm saying. Okay, why? Because when we're not stuffed with food, our senses are actually, they're sharper. And so when we fast, yes, we have those initial hunger pangs that are distracting, but we push through that, and then it actually allows us to pray with the Lord, pray with the Lord and talk to God with, with, great, with, great, with greater clarity. Okay, so that's, that's number three here with respect to prayer and intimacy with God. It just helps us with discerning the Lord's will with special moments. Now, finally, number three here with, with why fast is, and this one I, I found interesting in studying for this, and throughout church history, you see a top reason why the church fasts is to have solidarity with the poor. Uh, over and over again throughout the Old Testament, God constantly says, remember the poor, remember the, sorry, remember the orphan, the widow, and the sojourner, i.e. the people who are most, most vulnerable and the people who are most likely to not have systems in place to give them ready and immediate access to food. And God repeatedly says, like, these are the people that I identify with. And so if you even claim to have relationship with me, then you need to take care of and you need to identify with these groups as well. And so when we fast, especially in our environment, where for most of us, I'm guessing, just think, when's the last time you got hungry and didn't, and didn't have an immediate solution, right, to your problem. 
right? Like you get hungry and you have to think to yourself, wow, I may not have food for the next four days. Okay, I don't think that's most of us in this room, right? We just, we take it for granted. When I get hungry, I go get ramen. When I get hungry, I go to the pantry. And so when we fast, it helps us to existentially identify with the people that God really cares about, okay? To remember that there are many people, okay? Not just in other, in other worlds, right? But even in our own city, that don't have immediate solutions to the problem of food. And it reminds us of God's kingdom project where part of his new earth that he's bringing about is it's gonna be a place where no one will ever go hungry again. Okay, and so fasting also helps us have solidarity with the poor. I just, that was, that was really helpful for me. Okay, so that, that's, that's, why, that's why we fast. Okay, so now let's get a little bit more to brass tacks in terms of, okay, if hopefully you can start to see maybe why this is something worth even just more than considering but practicing. So how do I actually do it? So first let's talk about who is fasting not a good idea for. And the first category of people that fasting isn't a good idea for is if you want to do some kind of diet cleanse or get ready for beach season, okay? And this, we're coming up on it, right? May, June, July, August. And so yes, that's season with S-Z-N. Nowhere do we see Jesus think, oh my goodness, I'm a public speaker. I need to look really good as I'm trying to draw the, no, that's not why Jesus fasts. And so neither should we. So please don't use fasting, right, at least in, in the way that we're talking about it, as even a secondary motive because I'm, especially in our image-obsessed culture, okay, because I just need to make myself look a little better. So that would be the first reason why, why we shouldn't fast. Um, and second, and still seriously, but even, even more seriously, um, for those of you who have a complicated relationship with food, uh, for those of you who may have an eating disorder or a history of an eating disorder, so here I'm, I'm going to do my best not to like lay down a, a norm or a law, but just here's some considerations. Fasting may not be a good idea for you, okay, especially if you're still pretty much in the throes of it. Fasting probably is not a good idea for you. Okay, and so I'm getting this from listening to a lot of talks on this, and my wife, Kelsey, she has a history of anorexia, so she's been so helpful for me in, the, in this regard, because fasting, it can often be used as a trigger, right, as a reason for you to just not eat. Whereas for you, like, what obedience may look like and what dependence on the Lord may look like is when, say, we're going to do our church fast in a couple weeks. Obedience for you and, like, real trust for you, probably even more so than the people who are fasting, may look like eating that day and just eating in a healthy rhythm right where you have breakfast and lunch or whoever you're looking to for consultation on when you should eat trust in God will probably look like eating for you and because the purpose of fasting it's God wants us to have a a whole and healthy relationship between God and food and our bodies and our passions and so for that for you that looks like eating then you should eat Okay, and for those of you who, for those of you who, who that, that doesn't describe you, then you should probably consider fasting. And so just know as a church, like you should not feel any guilt. Okay, here, you should feel no guilt if you don't fast. Okay, in fact, like you should be applauded for not fasting if you're in this camp. And you're not going to be asked by a member of this church, hey, did you fast today? Okay, so and, and please church members, just be aware of that. Okay, as, as we fast as a church. So that's probably who, who should not fast. And so for those who probably should fast, here are just some, some things on how to think about doing this. Uh, first, is, first is we can do it corporately. So when Jesus says here, note he says, uh, you know, when you fast, make sure you don't 
look gloomy like the hypocrite so everybody knows you're fasting. He's not saying, don't tell anyone you're fasting. Okay, his point is, don't fast in order to get praise from other people. Often, you know, the book of Esther is an example of this, among other places in scriptures, where the people of God, they fast as a body, and people know each other's. So it's not a, Jesus isn't saying, don't tell other people you're, you're fasting. He's just saying, watch your motive for why you're doing it. Um, but for, as, this is new to our church, right? We're navigating these things, especially with people with different considerations. Just for now, during these initial months, we're not going to be asking one another, did you fast? Did you fast? Okay. But it, it often can and should be done corporately. And so what we're going to do to ease into this as a church is we'll do this uh, through our community group ministry. So on our community groups, the first week of April, actually leading up, leading up to a special moment in the life of our church, leading up to our first public service on Easter Sunday, April 9th, uh, if you're in a community group, we'll fast through the community group. So if you're in a community group, then look for information from your community group leader. If you're not in a community group, this would be a great chance to, to join a community group. So it'll either be that Tuesday, the 4th, I think, or Wednesday, the 5th. And the idea here is, like, generally how most of church history has done it is you omit breakfast and lunch and snacking in between. You know, drink water, okay, but you omit breakfast, lunch, snacking in between, drink water. And then what we'll do is when our community groups get together— the groups will come together, we'll share a meal with our community group, okay, and then we'll spend the entire community group, or most of the group, praying, okay, just interceding before the Lord for, for, for one another, for our church, for our city, as we move into a, a new season of life as a church, okay, does that make sense? So number one, that's corporately, you'll, more information to come. Second is, uh, you can fast individually, and so I was thinking for myself, I hope this isn't just something I, I study all week. I'm like, oh, that's some inspiring information, and then I just move on. I do it once with my community group, then I'm never changed. Okay, for those of you for whom fasting would probably be a good thing to do, I hope that this maybe starts a practice where we start fasting as individuals in the church. Okay, we're not just, we're not, you know, getting on a microphone saying, hey, I fasted yesterday, but just we get in that habit, and, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's starting once a month. Can you just start doing it and see what the Lord does? Okay, be careful of using fasting as like a means just to, okay, I'm going to fast and then God's going to answer this really strong prayer request I have. Okay, we don't want to make it transactional. I mean, in fact, you may, you may find that you fast, just so you know, like expectations, especially in our like A plus B equals C environment. You may fast and it may feel like nothing happens. You're just like, wow, I fasted today, and actually I felt more distant from God, and I was just really hangry by 3 p.m., and like, I didn't get any like, you know, voice from the heavens. And that may actually be a good thing, right, because God's teaching you not to do things transactionally. But at least the people who I've talked to who do fast regularly, they do say that over time, fasting regularly does help them just have a more intimate, close relationship with God. Okay, so that's number two. You can do it individually. And then number three, a uh, fast in view of the gospel. Okay, fast in view of the gospel. And so this isn't about, right, looking better. It's not about feeling pious or extra spiritual before God. We fast in response to the gospel. We fast because of the gospel. And one way to, to understand that is in John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to his friends. And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And what Jesus is saying is, the thing that keeps me going, right, the thing that I look forward to at the end of the day, the thing that drives my passion, you know, like for a lot of us it's food, the thing that drives me is redeeming my people 
in giving life in my name, right, to those whom I've called into my family. And so every act of obedience he did in his ministry was to redeem and persevere you. Okay, when he was on the cross, Jesus cried out, I thirst. Why? Because he was starving for God. Jesus had to eat death, right, in order to get the judgment, right, the verdict you and I deserve, separation from God, so that we can have satisfaction and life to the full with God. And so know that when you fast and then you, when you fast, when you go to pray and you should bring your anxieties and your unmet longings and your hopes to God, you're not bringing these longings or angers or fears to someone who has no idea what it's like to be hungry, okay, but you are bringing them to the one who knew, knew what it was like to be the most hungry, right, physically and spiritually speaking, for you so that you can have full satisfaction, Okay, our longings for relational intimacy, our longings for security, our longing to know that everything will be okay, these things are given to you by the God of the gospel, which he loves to give to you. Okay, so with him and his good news in mind, uh, let's go to God. In